Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche Podcast. We're doing a mailbag today. We got listener questions that we'll all be answering, all four of us, with uh, whatever our hot takes might be. Uh, not all hot takes, though. I imagine most of our answers will be mostly reasonable, I hope. Yeah, not really a pod that does a little too many hot takes. There, I, I feel like there's some questions that could lead to some interesting answers today though yeah the ones that are always like predict things that happen two years into the future is like you're like yeah all right well I, it's less those ones and more some of these i don't are, do you have them in the order i sent them or are we random ordering tiff i don't even know i i'm down either way it does not matter to me um I, are we ready are we ready to answer some of these questions yes Send it. Question number one. Uh, when there's Jesus. a missed bad penalty on the ice, like what happened to Makar or Lilgren, should that be enough for a one-game suspension? I feel like consistent retroactive punishment for bad hits is how you get them out of the game. I'll answer first if no one else wants to go. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so this is a boring answer here. But you should suspend plays that are suspension-worthy. It doesn't Which, matter. The call on the ice is irrelevant. Either it's suspendable or it's not. If you're asking, were those plays suspendable? I don't think what Marshan did was suspension-worthy. Well, every play is reviewable, right? I mean, just so everybody understand, it might not have been a penalty on the ice, but it's reviewed after the game, right? If deemed, you know, that it was dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, every play is... You know, suspendable. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll, I ran into a referee one time, and there wasn't that many cameras back then, and everything was good. It was Mick Magoo, and I ran into him, and it was an accident. I, I listen, it was an accident. It looked bad after, and then the supervisor was up top, came down after the game, and then they decided that this is going to be reviewed at the league, and I got five games for unintentional abuse of the referee. The only one in the history of the league. Unintentional abuse of the referee. So, <laughs> Man, if you're going to get an abuse of the officials, it should definitely be intentional. What's that? I said, if you're going to get hit for abuse of officials, it should be intentional. No, I came out of the box, and the puck was rimmed around, and I tripped Mick. I, I, I do. I, I do. I could slew for him. But I, I had no idea. And I'm being honest. I was trying to catch that puck. So every play is reviewable. And nowadays, there's like... 58,000 cameras every game so there's every angle of everything so if it's deemed suspendable then yeah. it will be reviewed and deal dealt with I think that's where we've had conversations like going back to Andrew Cogliano and the hit from Eberle that yep. fractured his neck in two places had a conversation with John Delapina uh, the VP of communications for player safety and there is a lot of tricky obstacles to navigate in how things get reviewed because like Eric is saying everything does get reviewed but when you start making exception to things after the fact it lends credence to question the player safety and I think it's fair to question player safety but I think it sets a bad precedent if there isn't a more firm standard for what will or won't be reviewable at what point after the fact and I think that's where this is a really good idea, but if it wasn't otherwise going to be reviewed by the league and suspendable, it falls into that category then of it could set a bad precedent if we started to 
ask demand uh, for things like that to be suspended after the fact. Like I didn't like what Marshan did. Um, and I think that upon review, you can see how it was bad, but it just, it wasn't spotted on the ice. And that's where it feels in a similar vein to the Cogliano and the Everly hit. Like, you know, Cogliano comes back and plays in that game. And we know the aftermath of that is obviously really bad. Same as Makar, he returns and plays in the rest of that Buffalo game, but misses practice the next day. And so it's just, it's a really slippery slope. Um, and unfortunately for the purpose of consistency, I don't know that it, it would be able to be possible unless it was already suspendable. Here's the thing. I don't really have a big problem with the Marchand hit. And yeah, look, I get it. His stick was between his legs. I think he definitely could have called the tripping penalty there. But from the result of the play, Lilgren's the one that initiates contact with Marchand on that play. He looks over his shoulder, he sees him, and he cuts into him to initiate a battle for the puck. And when two dudes run into each other, sometimes stuff happens. Well, you got you got bodies. You're holding a stick, and you're moving, and you're on blades. So you're you're gonna there's gonna be contact somehow. And then and I know we look at it all the time, and we press pause, and and it and it's it's slow motion. Like you know, what I mean, I mean, of course, I mean, like you know, but when it happens quick, and something happens there, I do believe it's just a little ball of hate, a little tank. He's going hard against somebody that's bracing himself to bump into him first. And I, I, I'm not saying Brad Marchand is a perfect player, or dirty, whatever you want to call that. He's been suspended many times. And, um, but on this instance, for me, he's going for, he's going for the puck in the corner with another opponent. And then there's contact, and it results in an injury. You know, And that's unfortunate, but injuries do happen. And I don't think there's intent there at all on my side. I, I, I mean, I just wanted to, like, describe the difference there between that one and the Makar one where Makar is clearly not initiating contact at all on that play. That's fully a guy in Acaposo coming up and actively pushing Makar into the boards rather than... I didn't like that one. Yes. That's a no doubt about it dangerous hit and it's a reckless thing to do. Yeah. I don't really have a serious problem with it not being suspended and all that. And, And also like this whole concept of like this is how you legislate bad hits out of the game it's hockey they're going to be bad hits like they're going to the, it, it gets it's played so quickly yeah everything happens so fast on the ice that the, you know and it's really easy to be on the outside and be like oh brad marsh and that guy sucks and assign ill intent there to somebody that's i think a really easy thing to do but on uh, in that case uh, in the marshan hit case like if if that's pretty much anybody else, I don't know that we you know outside of like a Tom Wilson type, I don't, I, yeah, like guys with histories. I don't know that we look at that and say that's dirty, you know. Like we look at the Kyle Pozo hit and I'm like that's dangerous, yeah, and that's not cool. Hey, to and do. I know what Ocposo is trying to do, right? He's yeah. trying to get to the inside. He's trying to just lemon and lift the stick, you know. Like you said, it happens quick. He's not trying to hit the guy from behind. Now what he did ended up being that right. and it was dangerous that's why it should have been a penalty it should have been obviously more than nothing uh but you know it does happen quick and and i think marshan's always involved because the guy's five foot two or whatever he is and, and he's a great hockey player and then he's always involved and 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 it, for him to be successful he has to be in in body contacts all over the place and that's why he's always involved in those types of things yeah. and he plays 20 something minutes a night and 
you get a fourth liner that Ooh. doesn't play much and then never gets in the corners and you know yeah for sure things don't happen but when you get a lot of ice i mean it's all relative so i'm not saying he's perfect I'm not, i don't yeah, know i don't know him from apple so i you know but i'd take him on my team though <laughs> in in a game where running into each other is allowed it becomes necessary. difficult, right? Yeah. And like 95% of the time, I would say these dudes aren't trying to hurt each other. Yeah. Hey, every once in a while, you get a play where you're like, okay, that guy was just going after somebody. But mm -hmm. the vast majority of the time, they're just playing hockey. I want to, I'm playing devil's advocate. I really still don't like Martian's decision there. And it's part of the on ice awareness component that we criticized. Carter for with Makar and it's a very different type of play but even if the intent isn't for him to injure in that way the stick between the legs and the skates around rockers in that area of the ice is so dangerous to me it's hard not to be a little bit more aware of what you're doing with your stick in between a player's legs and getting it he like can opens him yeah the stick in, was bad in I an agree. extremely yeah. dangerous area of the ice and that's where I'm like it's really hard to look at that and and not say in that situation, Marshan needs to have a little more awareness of where his stick is. Like, as far as, is it Lilligren? Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. That's how I would say it. Lilligren, as, as far as him initiating that contact, absolutely. Those two are both mutually consenting to this battle. It's just that decision with the stick between the legs is, and the area of the ice is what makes it so dangerous because that is a guarantee fall and it does result in injury. So it's a pretty predictable outcome in that respect. And and I don't know that Marchand is even thinking of it in those terms, but he is a seasoned player. And I think, to his credit, could have a little more on-ice awareness in that situation. Maybe so. I, I, I do struggle. Right? It's, to me, it's, it is a bit different than, say, something like a hit to the head of that nature. But at the same time, I absolutely think it probably should have been a penalty on Marchand. That's I'm, I'm That's with you there. Where I'm yeah. with Makar and Oposo. Like, if it had been a penalty on the play, I'd feel differently about each of these. Sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, we can move Fair. on to our next question. Thanks, guys. <laughs> there's there's a spring under the seat, and I get ejected <laughs> oh, if they don't gosh. like my opinion. Tiff switches screens, and then we eject the button. Uh, this one is for Eric. Who was the best card player that you played with in your playing days? Oh, Got to think about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm going to go abs because we're here. Let's go abs. Um, game of choice, probably poker. Um, Adam Denmarsh. Dead Marsh, poker, poker I, wizard. I know Joe's going to disagree and guys like that, you know. But I remember we all had, like, guys at Idols. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, Joe was Brunson, I think. Doyle Brun is it Doyle Brunson sure. or whatever yeah. the older that's, guy? That's like, old school. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, again, I'm older. <laughs> next, time, then, next time we see Joe, we should ask him this yeah. and see what he says. I'm going to go with Dead Marsh, yeah. He was the savviest for sure. Yeah. Uh, do kids these days even know who Doyle Brunson is? Yeah, yeah. They're probably like, who is this guy, you know? He was a legend, right? Wasn't he the first one? Yeah, he was like the yeah. OG yeah. poker OG, player. Yeah. Wrote the original book on it. Yeah. You and then like, some guys like Phil Elmuth and, you know what I mean? All those guys. Those you know what I mean? Like, so everybody was like. <clears throat> I grew up with Phil and yeah, like Daniel yeah. Negreanu and those yeah. guys. But I, I, I'm, Phil Elmuth is crazy. I met Daniel, a good guy. Yeah. I love, I love watching that dude pace. 
Who, Phil? Yeah. Like trying and, to intimidate you. It's like a hockey player. You know? while he's playing. Yeah. And he just paces around. Every hand he he's loses. trying to use intimidation. <laughs> yeah. I like it. He's crazy. All right. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah, Detter was good. I would agree with chat, though. The, the McAvoy hit was an easy slam dunk. Oh, yeah. There's, There's no I question about it. Suspension. Yeah. Rasmus Anderson's, too, yeah. for the record. Yeah, like, totally. Those were back to back suspensions that it was like, they got that. Open right. and shut case. And of again, clocking again, you in the head. He's just, like, I mean, he's, he's trying to play hard. He's trying to go. You don't think it happens quick. I, like you said earlier, nobody's trying to hurt someone. You know what I mean? It just, but that was, was reckless. That was reckless. Well, yeah. yeah. That was reckless. Those guys do exist. They do, unfortunately, but they're few and far between. Yeah. Next question. Do you think the mentality of wanting to get McDermott and Tufty into games for their own sake will transfer to guys like OO, Pavel, etc. throughout the years to give or throughout the year rather to give guys looks? Or is it a different conversation because those two aren't prospects? For my money, Jared Bednar just straight fucking lied about this. <laughs> That's my opinion here. Yeah. If Jonathan Duran and Tomas Tatar were lighting it up, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been pulled out of the lineup. They had each been too quiet for too long for too many of those eight games. And then coming off of the back-to-back -back losses, I thought that there were two easy scapegoated guys that they could say, eh, we're going to send this message here. And you had a guy in Riley Tufty that's been great for the Eagles. And you have a guy in Curtis McDermott that you clearly trust to do exactly what he did the other day. Uh, and to be this guy of we're going to reward him, we're going to whatever. If Tatar and Duran had been crushing it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That was an opportunity against a not very good team for Jared Bednar to say, you guys need to pick it up. You guys need to be better. And he didn't want to throw those guys under the bus in a presser. It's totally understandable and one of the many reasons why he's a player's coach. And... But but for my money, he just he just straight up went out there and protected his guys. And he gassed up the guys he put in without putting down the guys that he pulled out. That's just good managing of the media from a head coach that understands his locker room. And if those two guys had played better, we just would not be here. So I don't think it has anything to do with prospects. I don't think it has anything. I don't think it means anything for Oscar Olauson or Andre Pavel or Jason Poland, any of those guys. I don't think it has anything to do with them. And has everything to do with here. Two guys that we know are going to play games for us at some point this year. And we want to get them into the lineup. And we're going to use them right now as an opportunity to send a message. Especially in Tufty's case. Before his waiver status resets. Yeah. Uh, this is a, the, an opportunity to get him into those, those two guys. A look against a team they're confident they're going to beat. And that's what that was. Um, he was just playing the media game for me. I, it's a, it's a chain reaction of a lot of things to me. And this concept of Jared Bednar wanting to reward isn't new. Like, honestly, looking at Pavel getting in that Dallas preseason game as a reward for his hard work that he put in over the summer, because he does immediately get sent back to the Eagles and hasn't really been given any consideration since. I think that's the right call. I think it is a chain reaction of things, because I look at the way in which Logan O'Connor was elevated to the third line there. To me, that is also something of a reward for Logan O'Connor playing as well as he has at the start of the season. And that's an opportunity that's only granted to him if both Duran and Tatar come out of the lineup. And so I'm not even really looking at Tufty McDermott at that point. I'm kind of looking at the reward to Logan O'Connor in that situation. And so in my eyes, I think there's a little bit of truth in everything. Like, I do think then with how... 
Bednar rewarded Pavel with the Dallas preseason game that he would like to reward Tufty. And honestly, the scoring at the American League level was pretty hard to contest yeah. when you see one shot registered in eight games for Tatar. And Drew N has been a bit snake bit. And the thing is, Bednar's volunteering that information at least he's saying both players have been okay and that's where you can tell that he's not telling you exactly what he means like aj is suggesting that he means more than that but he he adds to that by saying it's been a consistency issue with tatar and with druan it's been a bit snake bit which i'm glad to hear him say because i think there is acknowledgement that it's not even that druan has played badly it just hasn't been converting and as we've seen with ben myers this is the opposite of being rewarded like it will quickly sour and new hook it will qu quickly sour you in the eyes of your coach and you do immediately see opportunities taken from you and so it's tough like on one hand i do think he genuinely is rewarding certain players and there's honesty behind that i i don't know though unless pavel and oscar olison throughout the course of the year are lighting up the american league the same way tufty did it would not translate to that opportunity. That's just the reality. Like, unless Oscar Olison can produce at the high clip that Tufty has, he's not even getting that consideration at this point. And it's only going to be born from a chain reaction of circumstances wherein maybe Tatar is not getting shots on that and Drew Ann is just on the doorstep of opportunities that aren't converting. All of those things have to come together, I think before we see Oscar Olison or Andre Pavel rewarded with opportunity. And so it was just kind of the perfect storm, like AJ's mentioning with the St. Louis Blues game. That's competition that I think they're willing to take that risk on because similar to McDermott, I wasn't buying that McDermott was getting in the lineup over a 20 goal score in Tatar. That was really hard for me to wrap my head around. And he did also put in a lot of hard work that summer. And I know that means a lot to Bednar. So I think there's some truth in what he's saying, but you have to take it with a grain of salt a little bit, too. I mean, just to wrap it up, like, the NHL is a tough league. There's no cut-up oranges and juice boxes. It's not. Like, it's not, oh, yay, everybody gets a medal. It's, you know, I, I think it was an opportunity. Except they have me. been, you know? I get a medal. You know, you do. You, you always do. You're the man. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're, you, you get back-to-back -back shutouts. As a coach, you got to use what's at your opportunity to, to try to get things going. So his way is, okay. I want to make sure everybody's part of the team. So I do buy that about McDermott and everything. Dermy's a good team guy. He works hard. And, you know, let's get him in. Uh, and let's get him a few minutes and make him feel better. And I, I agree with that. Or else it's tough. Uh, but, I mean, why not? You put Tufty there. And, you know, of course, Dermy's not going on the second line. So you're rewarding Tufty because he's going to play for you this year. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden you send a message to two guys that – I haven't delivered, right? You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, you know, it's not because even because you score a goal or you're snake. I'm, I'm not saying Jonathan scores a goal and, and then all of a sudden he's had a great 10 games. You know what I mean? So, again, it's the same thing. A goalie has a 4-1 win. That doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden the starter in the NHL, <laughs> right? And I'm not passionate on that. I'm just saying, let's just, you got to be, you know, careful a little bit. So it's a little bit of everything. And I think he's just using it, what he has as his disposition to have answers. Well, and, you, and you've talked about this before, kind of relating back to what Megan said. A lot of the times in the NHL, the call-up isn't about who's the best to get this opportunity of an NHL game. It's what have you done for me lately? Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's like, what are you, right? What are you? And, and the chat was asking about o -O Oscar Olofsson. I had to ask, sorry, I had to ask Megan, who's O-O? -O? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'm French, man. Come on. <laughs> different letters, I'm I guess. French. I don't know. But it's like, yeah, but it's a different type of player. So it's what do you need? Uh, you know what I mean? So that's where I always say all of a sudden going to have to figure out and really carve himself an identity of what am I as a pro player? What am I going to be? And then when the opportunity comes, it's who's playing the best down there, you know, for that, you know, forward, defenseman, that type of player. All right, let's do one more here. Tiff trying to do eight jobs at once, like always. Uh, when I watch Avs games with my non-Avs fan roommates, they always say our alternate jersey should be our main jersey kit. Would you be okay with that? Maybe change the logo a bit to keep the Avalanche A on it. Uh, as always, caveat this by certainly AJ and I aren't really Jersey people, so maybe the couch will have more thoughts on it than, than we do, but... I am a staunch believer in the Avs should never change their jerseys or logo. And it's the third jersey is a great third jersey, but that's what it should stay. I agree. I think the A is awesome. I love it. It's what I grew up with. They've won three cups with it. It's now it's now legacy. It's got a deep history of success. It has NHL records behind it. It's got Hall of Fame players that wore it. Um, I I don't care that somebody like a D-line will look at it and say, oh, it's so 90s, though. It's a terrible logo. Yeah, they came in in the 90s. So what? It's The logo fit the era in which the team was born, and uh, this iteration of it anyway, and it's had so much, It's got so much history built in, in 20 years, 30 years already that for me, I'm just like, what are we doing here? Do you think Keep it. It's awesome. Fans. And I love the third jersey and the logo. Yeah, I think it's, it's great. great. The Illuminati logo yeah. is awesome. It's it's cool, and I like when they wear it. I think it's perfect as a. I, I thought I think they found the perfect home for it. Division games at home. They hype it up as division rivalry. It's easy. It's yeah. you, it's repeatable. You know when they're going to wear it. I think it is. It's the right mixture, uh, and for like the for only time ever, I really like this like jersey rotation they have. Do you think fans in like the 1950s were saying this about Toronto Maple Leafs jerseys and things? Like, oh, it's so 1920s. I don't know. I'd have to ask <laughs> D-Line. He's the expert. <laughs> Got him. He'll tell you all day. He's the expert. So, No, I'm with you guys. I, I'm not a big jersey person either, so I think that made this a tough question. We don't have a ton of diversity in our answers, but I love the Avs A. And I also love Joey's suggestion about home whites periodically. I love a white jersey. Okay, so that was going to be my point. Here's my point. First of all, I'm a purist. Uh, I am boring. So here's my answer. I'm not that old, but the 50s and 60s, home teams were, were dark like it is now. But then I grew up in an era where whites were home, and I played in an era where whites were home. That, that's what it was. So now every time I see a dark jersey at home, I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it because that's not what I'm accustomed to. But then again, you're talking to a guy that's still mad that the red line got taken away like, <laughs> what, 20 years ago? I'm still mad that the red line should be there. Ugh. I don't care that it no, produces right. offense. You know, Gretzky got 220 points a year, so it's not a big deal with a red line. Let me tell you why that's a bad take. <laughs> I knew this was coming. It's the one thing about jerseys that I like. feel like I actually have a leg to stand on. <laughs> if you're not wearing your colors for your home crowd, who are you wearing them for? White? White plus your So stripes. every team in the league's home colors are white? 
All your you go watch your team. You're wearing your colors for your home team, and well, you wear you see them well, wear there's white. There's different colors on your oh, on your on. sleeves, you know. Nobody tell Rudo, but he won me over on this argument already. Thank you. I actually agree. If this this perspective <laughs> makes sense to me. The funny thing is, like, if a team were to do it, a team called the Avalanche wearing white would make a ton of sense. Yeah, but. But I'm, like, I'm the not Minnesota arguing. Wild white wearing yeah. like white jerseys at home is like. I'm glad you mentioned it because I love green jerseys and I hate admitting this on air. <laughs> and I wouldn't want Minnesota to stop wearing green jerseys. Well, listen, I'm not arguing your point because it's very valid. <laughs> but white jerseys are for home crowd. That's oh, it. And a start. Can you imagine the white out in Ball Arena? Oh, yeah. With white jerseys on the ice. It would. Be and like an avalanche, like a, and then the moms. Yeah. Is that what you said? I said, the and then the pom poms. Oh, and then the, <laughs> and the moms should be there too. I mean, <laughs> in white. if they win tomorrow, the moms yeah, they can't stay. Leave. It's They're like not an entire flurry, right? It's like a literal snowstorms inside Ballerina. She's yeah. like, she's really into the wild right now. I think she's a wild fan. Green flurry. Whoa, you so, know. It's like a good thing we're on flurry. opposite ends. Whoa, then. Whoa, You've been whoa. talking about flurry that too much. Definition of character. You said flurry. I didn't say that. <laughs> On that note, we have a, a new sponsor, a glove sponsor. You can see him right there uh, as Eric is picking him up. Hestra is our new glove sponsor. Uh, they were very kind to give us a ton of gloves. Yes, Megan, have you picked yours up? They're Those right yours here. Are right there. There. there you go. Uh, a ton of amazing gloves. Awesome. Uh, I didn't know either. That was just coincidence. They, oh, cool. uh, they've been doing it for over... 85 years, so uh, they've made a handful of gloves in their time. A yeah. handful? A handful. <laughs> Got them. Make it so uh, sharp. Fantastic at what they do. You can get your gloves by going over to HesterJob.us, and you can use the code DNVRJOB to get 30% off your next pair of gloves. Super high-quality work gloves. They work for everything, whether it's just going out in the cold or if you're doing some hard work, hard labor. You know, my supple hands can't be grabbing anything without some gloves on because they'll tear right up. Don't so. ever say that phrase again. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, they, they do great work, though. They're, they were fantastic the other night when we went out in the cold, actually keeping my hands warm. You can also use it for any sort of projects around the house, things like gardening, landscaping, all that type of stuff. They're amazing to just slip on and use. Uh, again, head to HesterJob.us and use that DNVR job code to get 30% off your next purchase. And anyone looking to supply, supply their team with high-quality work gloves at a bulk rate can email Josh Jacobson at Josh at HestraUSA.com. Uh, and then we're also sponsored by Bet365. You can get over to Bet365 and use the DNVR365 code to sign up today to get amazing boosts all over the place with Bet365. They don't want any sports play to be boring. They're never ordinary. Even if it's uh, gambling on a the next pitch, the next play, the next shot on goal. You can do it all with Bet365. Highly recommend you check them out if you hadn't had the opportunity yet. They have tons of amazing options to bet on, including Avs games. Avs are going to Vegas. They're already in Vegas, actually, yeah. but... Uh, it, the spirit of gambling should be on with the Avs in Vegas, for sure. Smart for this to be the mom's trip. <laughs> the Vegas trip? Yeah. Well calculated. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Uh, either way, get yourself over to Bet365 today. You can get their app uh, and ride with the NVR. You can also even follow the DNVR. We get our own custom bet. 
with Bet365 that you can jump on. So sign up with that DNVR365 code today. Of course, you must be 21 or older and physically located in Colorado. Please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. And before we answer more questions, we have our Bet365 Never Ordinary Top 5. Because we're starting to get into that stretch of the season, I have a top five of the best starts to a season for the Avalanche ever. All right. Starting with an honorable mention, which is this year. They're currently 7-2. and two. If they do beat Vegas, they move to 8-2, and two, and that would be good enough to get them into the top five starts of all time. Pretty cool? Pretty good start? Agreeing. I don't know. It's a little bit weird because we have some old ones in here, so ties were allowed, which made it a little bit harder. But let's go to number five. Ties are the worst. I'm not, I'm not having this conversation again. Uh, number five, 97, 98. The Avs started 6 3 and one That is three ties and an overtime loss. Uh, pretty how, good. How was that team, Eric? Yes. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, no, yeah, it was a good team. That, what, 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 97, 98? Yep. Yeah, I mean, obviously, 90s, 95, 96, they win the Cup. 96, yep. 97, we win the President's Trophy. Mm-hmm. 97, 98? Yep. And I do believe we hit a knot, though, like around Christmas. It went downhill a little bit, and then it caught up to us in the playoffs. But that was a good start that year, yes. But there were ties, you're right. And not only that, it was five on five in overtime. So that's <laughs> why there was a lot more... Times were different. You know, and that's why I got to play in overtime sometimes, you know. <laughs> right now, no chance. Three on three, no way. So you just needed to be a face-off guy <laughs> to play exactly. in three on three. Yeah. <laughs> it's all it takes Master the days. art of face-off so you can get in on the uh, first face-off of three on three. But it was funny because it, it, the, I get why they changed the rule because people were playing for ties. I mean, it was yeah. unreal. Yep. I mean, they were, like, if you unreal. go back and look at just the standings, you can oh, yeah. physically see... You can see the difference between three on three and four v four, because by the, the end of number four of shootouts, four, it was so yeah. But the number of shootouts teams were teams were having it was like approaching eight, 12, 70 percent shootouts. Like when games went into overtime, it was outrageous. on for yeah. most teams. They were oh, yeah. they were ten shootouts a year. Yep, yeah. and you know you were you were living and dying. Wojtek Volski got acquired at a trade deadline because yep. he crushed it in a shootout. Yep. And it was just valuable to have a guy like that around that was like, hey, he's going to score a bunch of times in the shootout. Yep. You know? So, yeah, it, it had to change. Number four. And ties are terrible. <laughs> uh, seven, one, and two in 2009, 10. Uh, slightly more recent. There are some more recent ones. That's than Craig this. Anderson. Yep. But, that's yep. Duchesne O'Reilly. Yeah. This is uh, my was, era. Uh, and we were and we were on the road trip to start <laughs> the era? year. We went five and zero on that Eastern road trip to start the year. Like Montreal, Toronto was crazy. Yep. Crazy. Gave us wings. You know, it was nuts. I I think things start getting more interesting in the top three, uh, because you have some weird ones. I mean, they're not that weird because I lived through them, but. For someone who hasn't experienced all the abs, nineteen twenty, the abs go eight one and one to start the season. Uh, obviously, a year. I don't where, remember this. I don't really either, to be honest. But 
that one was a year where it really felt like Colorado had a thing going, and then the entire world shut down. So that's uh, that's why I don't remember it is because okay, everything that was is about that year, when okay. COVID yeah. hit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I only remember twenty. Yep. None of the rest of that season leading up to it. I have no idea. <laughs> I do know the Abs were in the midst of chasing down the Blues. Yeah. And that stoppage stopped Colorado from stealing that division title. Yep. Uh, number two, 13-14, the Avs went 9-1 and one with Patrick Waugh's first year as a head coach. Yep. Yeah, those guys were, that was a crazy team. Just don't look at the underlings and everything is great. That was a crazy <laughs> team. A lot of third period comebacks, a lot of, a lot of high wire act that got those guys by. Yeah. And Varley. Yo, yeah. <sighs> Semyon Varlamov. My God, what a year he had. Uh, and then the top team, the 2001 Avs that would go on to win the Cup, started uh, the first 10 games of the season without a loss, mm-hmm. going 8-0 and two ties. Yeah. They were pretty good. That team was pissed. <laughs> well, you look at it, what happened? They won the Cup. And then you look at uh, 95-96. I don't know what their record was. Ah, I was going to say something. It was good. Nothing to do with it. The year before, it was Quebec North. They went 10-0. and Quebec yeah. Nordiques. <laughs> Um, yeah, good starts are important. You know, good starts are important. They make your life a lot easier. That old one team, I remember we had Milan Hayduk on the show once upon a time, and I asked him, you know, how important was it at the start of that season for you guys to take the regular season seriously? And he was like, we were tired of losing in game seven in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> so we were not doing that again. And that team, start of the year, end of the year, that team meant business. Wire to wire. Wow. They meant business. And did. All right. That was your bet. Three, six, five. Never ordinary top five. Uh, now let's get back to some of these questions. Let's get... Just pick one. It's all yeah, good. Yeah, four. Trust you. Jesus. Ah, ah the, the title question of the show. Grimacing. Planned futility. Planned futility. I can speak. To get a high draft pick incentivizes just shamefully bad hockey, such as San Jose. Would the NHL be better off making draft order completely random and unrelated to team performance? So there would be no incentive to tank. Uh, I'm going to let you guys take this one first. No, it doesn't. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Um, tanking. We saw we saw this last year. Tanking already does not. Tanking already does not have the intended effect here. Chicago wasn't the worst team in the NHL last year. They got Connor Bedard. You know, the Avs have two examples of yeah. yeah. they got the fourth pick when they had the highest odds at first overall. One of them ended up being a godsend, and the other one, look, Bowen Byram's great. We all really like him. He's not Jack Hughes. No. And the rest of the league is incredibly thankful that that system was in place. Um, and it really took until Detroit threw a gigantic fit about it after they were the worst team and they ended up with the fourth pick that those rules got changed in the odds because you would get you would get last place and you had a greater than 50% chance for the fourth pick yeah you might have had highest odds at the first pick but at 16% it's still an unlikely outcome here so it was no to me this doesn't make this just doesn't make any sense um, the way that the system is now was designed to be punitive for tanking teams. It is. It ended up being a little more forgiving than they wanted it to be, or I'm sorry, a little more punishing than they wanted it to be. But 
I, I think where it is right now is where I want it, where you have a decent chance at the top. If you're one of the worst teams, you have a legit shot. It mitigates the amount that you can drop. You look at the NBA, the NBA goes too far because you could finish anywhere in the top five. You're the worst team in the, in the NBA and you, you end up with a fifth pick. That yeah. sucks. So, um, you know, from my, f- just from my perspective, I just don't think it makes any sense. Megan? I agree with AJ. I don't know that it would change much, one, because of how hockey players are wired. I don't know that they're pummeling to the bottom on purpose. I think that's really hard and bad for a locker room mindset. And I, I see a lot of conversation about San Jose in the chat, and I, it's funny, and I think it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek. Like, I, I don't see it on there, but it's something like I think San Jose is just bad. I think that locker room is just broken right now, and I don't think they're even thinking about draft order. I think they're just broken mentally right now, and I think that's just how hockey players are wired. And so the randomness of it and the unpredictability of it all, I think is something that they consider even with the lottery in place the way that it is. It's a tough sport. It's a tough league. And I was saying it about it earlier. I've been in a situation a few times where you're in, you know, towards the last place team, and first of all, you're fighting for your career. You're fighting for your own life. Like... If I play bad, I might never get a contract again or I might never come back or they're going to ship me in the minors. So no one's going out there purposefully like to, to make sure that they're not playing well. Um, of course, if all of a sudden a GM trades Nathan McKinnon for, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Like uh, name me a bad player and then, you know, <laughs> use that as an example. It could be anybody when I say bad player, uh, not the Nathan McKinnon, you know. But then why are you doing that? That's bad business. And, you know what I mean? So nobody's trying to. you got to remember the head coaches are – they have wives, kids. They're trying to win games. If they don't win games, they're fired. You know, um, San Jose, I know David Quinn. I, I know him real well. Uh, he's an ex-Avalanche assistant coach. I've worked with him for years, and he's a fiery guy. It's not easy. There is no way that it's easy. And, and, and you're not trying to go in a game and say, I'm going to lose, because then you wouldn't be a pro athlete. It doesn't work that way. And But, yes, sure, sometimes it does look like it, because when you go in those kids and – you don't have the talent or the locker room, like Megan said, to, to overcome it. Oof, those kids can go, and they can go for a while. And right now, they're in, they're in one right now. And that's kind of my problem with it, right? Punishing tanking is inadvertently punishing teams that are actually just bad. And so, how are those teams supposed to get better if they don't get first crack at some of the next level of talent in the NHL? I do, I do like um, the system that I would prefer to be in place is that often talked about gold plan that Michael Blake McCurdy talks about every year Yeah. of when a team is mathematically eliminated. The points count starts. When they win games after that, they keep a separate tally of standings and whoever ends up with the most points at the end of the season that, that, are, that were mathematically the, eliminated, yeah, gets that's the, that's the draft yeah. order. So that way, it does not incentivize teams to be like, oh, our three best players are a little banged up at the end of the season. We're just going to sit them and play a couple of young guys and just whatever. It still incentivizes, incentivizes winning. And the teams that push for it does. And I, the, no, teams I that, the teams that push for the playoffs and just miss them end up, you know, there's none of this Philadelphia, New York Rangers jumping sure. up the lottery and having the miracle lotto ball that you know they don't go through any of the pain of the losing throughout the season you know the andre svechnikov goes to carolina because we've seen it multiple times happen and so i think that that gold plan would be my preferred system where 
those teams when they they're sure. encouraged to continue to win games at the end of the season. It also keeps teams that are fighting for the postseason honest because all the games are still mattering. Everybody's still playing for something and not just, well, we're bad, so we're just going to keep losing. I do think it's better. My one problem there is it kind of just flips the problem because now you have teams who, if they start the season like San Jose has and they're 0-8, their incentive is to get eliminated from the playoffs as fast as humanly possible. Yeah, and they're going to unintentionally do that anyway because those players aren't going to go out there and... The players don't tank, organizations do, right? Sure. That's right. And That's right. So the whole, oh, well, they'll get mathematically eliminated as quickly as possible. You know how hard that is? It's not like they can get mathematically eliminated at game 56, you know? Hey, uh, as a player, you really don't care about a draft pick. Or, you know what I mean? Because yeah. really that draft pick is taking your job. Always remember it that way. That draft pick is coming in to take your job. So they really don't care about draft picks. They don't care about, you know, they care about <laughs> their team that's in the locker room that day. And draft picks are later on. And, oh, great. You ask the guy, oh, hey, you guys lost the draft pick. Oh, okay, great, awesome. I think players don't care. That system also removes, you know, that grievance of the Arizona Coyotes or Detroit Red, Red Wings recently of yeah, yeah. the perennial we, bottom feeder. We just yeah. never have any lottery luck, you know? Like, the Coyotes have never moved up in one of these things. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about they've had plenty of shots at it over I'm the years. And they've never moved up in one of them. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you put this system in place, it's on you. Yep. Building, building a truly heinous team might get you eliminated earlier. Might get you an extra ten games yep. to to but take then a you're shot really at it. Bad. Yeah. But if you can't win the games, you're still punished for that. So you've got to be like, hey, it, it. To me, I think it removes the threat of the fifty point team on purpose. As we saw with the Avalanche, a fifty point team could still happen accidentally. Yeah. But thank it, God. If things if things go wrong, then things go wrong, <laughs> and that sucks. And there isn't a whole lot you can do. But there's nothing that's stopping San Jose from. Getting screwed in the lottery, the lottery anyway. Yep, you're gonna end up in a with a the third pick in a, in a two player draft. That hurts. Congrats, you just lost sixty games for nothing. So you know, I I like the idea of the gold plan. I've always thought it made more sense. It incentivized winning from wire to wire, but it's easier for players to buy into. They continue to have something to play for every day. Uh, not that they're going to care a whole lot about it, but like it's also for a guy like a Logan Couture or Tomas Hurdle. They're playing to help themselves in the immediate future. Because if they get that, they win those games, they get Macklin Celebrini, and he joins the team next year, that makes them better. So those long-term deals that they're sitting on, that makes the Sharks better. So they can care about that. You know, a, a guy on a one-year deal is not going to care as much. He's just like, I'm just trying to prove I belong in the league, yeah. right? But it does it does at least give them an opportunity of... It gives it gives them that carrot of help yourself a little bit. You're already going BU, aren't you? David Quinn, Macklin, Celebrini. Look, this guy's a genius. He's a genius. He's, he's not even yeah. a Celebrini guy. He's it, an Iserman. Not guy. my personal favorite, but it's not. Iserman's like, a BU guy too. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah, they're, well, they're best friends. It's it's not like I you know, it's not like Macklin Celebrini's bad man. No, oh, wow, he's <laughs> fun to watch. Oh, something the Avs don't have to care too much about. Um, for the Sharks, it'd be pretty fun to have Celebrini and Will Smith, a BU guy and a BC guy. Awesome. Have a fight in the locker room. Yeah, locker room bean pot. <laughs> Next question. 
With Taves signed, if they all have a good to great year, who gets traded and for what of Byram, Gerard, and Manson? We had a lot of people ask this question, by the way. I'll start. Go. If they're having great years, I don't know how you trade Byram or Gerard this year. I think the conversation gets a lot more interesting with Byram at the end of his current contract. Then you have cap considerations to consider, which we'll talk about later in this show. Um, but if they're playing well, I don't know why you would want to get rid of either Byram or Gerard. You probably wouldn't want to get rid of Manson either at that point. Nope. But it becomes a a contract value thing. And you know maybe the Avs are looking for a piece and they need to free up some cap space. I think Manson makes the most sense, but I, I don't know. I'll let you guys well, weigh in. Well, you load up for the playoffs, and they're top five team to win the Stanley Cup, so you don't get rid of anyone uh, right now, right, obviously. Um, you wait till after, and you want it all great, and then then you see where your puzzle's at. And, of course, during the year, they, those guys are smart. Chris is a smart guy. Uh, the guys that are surrounding him are smart people. I'm talking about C-Mac and everybody else. It's so weird when you call him Chris. I'm no, like, yeah, no, C Mac. Sorry, yeah. Um, <laughs> those guys are smart. They're workers. Chris McFarland's a worker. He's always a step ahead. Uh, obviously, Joe that supervises and oversees everything. But those guys are smart, and and they're gonna go for their run with all the ammunition that they have. They're not gonna get rid of ammunition, and and then so be it. And you gave yourself a chance. It's like teams that are giving up first round picks to you know to go get players and it doesn't work and they don't win you know i mean you got to try the entire arms race that happened at the deadline in the eastern conference last year that's what that's my point that's my point you got to give yourself a shot your locker room gets all like pumped and rejuvenated they're excited okay we're going for it and there's only one winner um so now the abs case they'll have plan a plan b plan c you know if they win don't win where's the cap going what are the demands of uh, where's Bo going to go? Where You know what I mean? Things change. Bo, uh, and again, I'm hoping for a good year for Bo. But he has a great year, an outstanding year. Maybe he prices himself out. I don't know, right? Kadri priced himself out by having an unbelievable year. But yep. at the start of the year, he wasn't probably priced at that price. Not right? even you close. Know what I mean? yeah. so things change. It's only 10 games. Things change in the spring, right, with how well you do for the Stanley Cup. And... At the end of the day, you, you win the cup, you move on if you have to do it, and then you, you're going to have to move on from things because it doesn't add up. Kemper, Kadri, right? every team, it's like that, right? Tampa Bay, yep. go back to the Blackhawks. I mean, the only ones really that didn't really get hurt when I think about it was the Kings, right? You know, like give and take. But yeah, you, you get rewarded guys like Dustin Brown with contracts that, hey, listen, were expensive and all that kind of stuff. but Didn't age very well. You know, didn't age well. And Again, awesome. He's, he's got a statue out front. He must have done something right. You know what I mean? But... Um, I don't know. I, I think you just evaluate, you see, and, uh, and and then you you deal with it, and you say, that's a stupid plan. No, it's a plan to win. We want to win, you keep your ammo, and then you have to deal with it afterwards. Uh, who do I think it's going to be? I don't know. I mean, that's None of the above? None of the above. Like, I don't... Maybe different, right? It does feel like a, an issue. I don't even want to describe it as a problem, but that won't be considered until the summer, as chat mentions. Josh Manson has no trade clause currently, and the modified no trades clause with 12 teams kicks in June 15th. And so mm -hmm. they're not even really looking at that. And that's still a 12-team no trade clause. Like, that's still a pretty difficult to maneuver around yeah. uh, 
trade clause. And so I don't know that Manson's the name at the top of that list. A lot of it dependent on Byram's health, but I also think how the other players in the depth chart are coming along. Is Caleb Jones having a great year for the Eagles? Mm-hmm. Is Sam Alinsky having a great year for the Eagles? Can they make room for Jeremy Hansel to come over and play <laughs> in, the, in the American League next year? They've got Sean Barron's obviously there coming over. I had, I, had, I had to package it in there, right? Like, Guliev's probably going to stay in the KHL for a little bit of time, just in looking at that extension that he signed this year. Yep. Not the biggest deal, though. We are looking at a pretty deep depth oh, yeah. chart, and he's going to be excellent when he does make that move over. But there's Sean Barron's at the end of his junior year. And if he has another great year at TU and just continues trending in the right direction, you know, he had an off-season procedure to address kind of a lingering thing. And so I think that a lot of that injury stuff is sort of behind him now. So he's looking at a, a good year to just play a lot more games than he has previously. Barron's is an exciting and affordable way to address depth down the line that I think all of these things are going to impact whether or not they are even considering moving any of these players. And, and to finish the question, it's for what? Right. Of course, of course, yeah. for everything's different. Everything is situational. Uh, we're talking about no trade clause. Sometimes your hands are tied as a team because you can only, you know, he's only going here or there. And okay, so what's your leverage? What's your power? Yeah, it, you know, yeah. you don't have a lot. So if, we'll see. If Edmonton says, "Hey, we'll retain half on McDavid and give us Bo and Byram," you say, "Hell yeah, sure, we'll but do it." That never happens. Exactly. It, the return does matter significantly, yep. and I don't have a good answer on what that return should be at this point. I agree. It's I mean, I think, I think it varies, right? Because for it's yeah. lowest for Josh Manson. Yeah, for sure. The middle of the road for Sam Gerrard, who Sam Gerrard is, is the safest, most reliable of those three right now. He signed for the longest at a really reasonable $5 million. Everything about the Sam Gerrard would be appealing to teams that need that guy. Yep. Um, what is that valued at in the trade market? I really have no idea. If you can get a first-round pick for him, you, it, that probably changes the conversation for you where you're like, I'm intrigued by that because you probably don't use that first-round pick. You flip it for whatever yeah, else. Yeah, you probably yeah. trade it for something different. But that would be the appeal there. With Byram, it's the upside, the long-term play. The team acquiring him might be willing to give up the most assets because depending on the year that he has, if he's healthy and he plays really well, that's the guy with the highest ceiling on that list. Uh, he might end up being most expensive money-wise, but, you know. There's um, a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, and that's where that's where that financial factor of it is also why you would have the conversation about trading Byram. Yep. Yeah, maybe he breaks out, and then you enjoy this year, you enjoy next year, and then when it, his contract is Somebody up, he's Somebody else can an pay RFA. him $9 million. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's, looking, he's looking at that big contract. And he's probably looking at a bigger role now with Devon Taves permanently on this uh, as in front of him. Yeah. The conversation about him being a top pairing guy, I think it's louder. If he yeah. if he is if his play doesn't just naturally dictate it, yeah. where he has a giant breakout and ends up that good. Just takes it, yeah. It might be I think that conversation will get louder the longer it goes on if he plays really well. He would have to play really well for that to be a, a thing. Of course. And then with Manson, Manson's my preferred guy to go because I think he's just the easiest to replace. Mm-hmm. That's not to say I don't value Josh Manson, but when you're talking about cost efficiency of those guys that are involved, he's your least cost efficient guy. He's your easiest to replace. He's your easiest to... If you were to replace Josh Manson with Caleb Jones, one for one, are you worse? Yes. But... Different style. It's a quarter of the contract price. Mm-hmm. And... Yep. 
that extra money goes to it could go to one good player it could go to three million dollar players However which you as are, we've yeah. seen over the last couple of years tomas tatar jonathan duran evan rodriguez these are the, they can wait out the market consistently and get guys to say yes to them at the end of the summer every year that's a good position to be in and that means that they can they can plan to say hey we're going to use a million dollars maybe a million five in the case of the case of tatar yeah um to to do something like that you know to to make that kind of decision uh in terms of allocating resources uh so for me manson is he's the least reliable of them right now he's the worst of the three nhl wise he brings a valuable element that the other guys don't that they would need to replace they would need to go get a guy that could do that job yep and for all the sammy gerard haters out there like let, let's let's breathe a little bit you get rid of a guy like that, then you'll see if when somebody else plays, it's like, oh my God, I miss Sammy Gerard. No, no crap. Thirty-one other teams in the NHL would take Sammy Gerard. So, uh, you know, Ezekiel McCarr, no, he's not, but he's also a serviceable guy that does really well in the toughest league in the world. So, we got to be careful sometimes. And those guys always have a backup plan, right? Management. So, you don't just get rid of players, or you don't get rid of Josh Manson, or you know, like. AJ was saying, you know, yeah, it's not in a vacuum. Whatever no. they decide to do will not be. This is no. the move that we're making, and we'll worry yes. about the rest later. Yeah, they will have an idea of what comes next. Yep. What comes next for us is another question. Uh, the question was time for Abs to wear neck guards, but I did want to have this bigger conversation. Obviously, with the Adam Johnson situation happening the other day, um, I uh, look. When it comes to doing something easy, such as like wearing one of those anti-cut shirts, why not, right? Yeah. Sorry, I was looking. I asked you or give about um, equipment a little bit. I, I was just trying to get a feel for it because it's been a standard for him to wear a neck guard as Goalies, protection. Yeah. And so, you know, is there even a frame of reference for what would be uncomfortable or required getting used to if that's sort of always been the standard? And so I, I asked him and... He does think it is difficult to implement that as a new equipment rule for the skaters uh, because it is quite different from what they've known. So I think that he had a very practical response to it. I personally would love to see players adopt neck guards, but it is going to come down to the individual player's decision and what they're comfortable with. Um, it's something that I fully support and would love to see players at least give it a chance, even if it doesn't ultimately stick. Um, but I think that it's just... The game evolves, and I think there are things that previously hadn't been adopted that get implemented down the line um, that I think this is just one of those things that they should see about trying, especially with young players. Um, I think that should become a standard for young players in youth hockey moving forward so that there isn't that adjustment period. Um, but it is hard to have this be something that's enforced league-wide. I know that we're seeing it start to pick up some speed in the American League with teams, um, rallying around it, but I do think it's going to be pretty hard to get players all on board with, with equipment changes that big. I don't really see it too dissimilar from when visors were a thing, like when visors went from you know, only the soft guys wear them to now everybody wears them. Yeah. This is just a practical decision. This makes everybody a little bit safer. They don't look cool is a stupid reason. Um, 
I don't know how comfortable they are. For me, that's a pretty good reason if it's like really, really uncomfortable. But you wear it enough, you'll get used to it. I, my answer should just be yes. Like, yeah, it's it, it, it took a freak accident for something like this to happen. Mm-hmm. But when that poor girl got killed at a hockey game, when a yeah, puck yeah. flew into yeah. the stands, right. and yeah. and we have netting right around away. the entire, yeah. every rink now has netting. You know, baseball fans have contended with this for a long time. Now there's netting all the way down. Yep. It just makes everybody involved a little bit safer. I don't see the downside here. Yep. Uh, I, I think I that's, a, for me, I, this is an easy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you know, being a player, I'll go like this. When I broke into the league, like, not a lot of people had visors. Um, a lot of people had no helmets. Again, I always say how old I am. A lot of people didn't play with helmets. I had a helmet, and I'd be like, wow, those guys are nuts. They play in this league without a helmet. What's wrong with them? You know what I mean? And and then I never wore a visor, uh, you know. But then I do I understand, like, the with the visor? It's so easy. That's what they know. They know that in junior hockey. So I, I'll use Gretz. I think he talked about it on, on the national broadcast the other day. He goes, those kids are young. When I was young, we had to wear neck guards. I'm from Canada. We had to wear neck guards. I, it's it, part of our equipment. For you know? juniors, I don't, it shouldn't even be a question. That, that's me. my point. Like, so I, I, my point is, you just I, I do believe in the queue. They have to wear them. In the Quebec League, for example, yeah, in juniors. They, they just, I don't know about the other They days. just started it with the dub. They just okay, said so, they will. Yeah. So you, you wear it, and then you go to the American League or the NHL, and then that's what you know. That's what you, you know, and that's why it's never an issue with visors because guys have had visors and they come in in the league and you have to wear a visor they're like great that's awesome so i think it would be like that for net guards it is not that uncomfortable nowadays and you got tj Oshie, that's got the, his company yep. World Road, right it's just part of the shirt that you wear it's got an extension and it's got that fabric that doesn't cut right um i i i think it should be where you you just never take it off and then it never becomes an issue um Am I going to see that the league's going to mandate that? No. At the uh, American League level? To. American League level, a little different. A little different. You can mandate more things than you can at the NHL, just yeah. for all the reasons and legalities and everything. But I think that why not? I mean, why not? The game is so fast now. Uh, the equipment's so much better. And, and, and that includes skates. And their skates are more sharp and you know that, that they even were back then. And, and it's just, if it's something that can protect you without hindering your... You know, like you said, like you're, you know, the way it feels, then, yeah. then why not? I mean, I, I think it should be part of their equipment growing up and then all the way to, you know, uh, I, I don't know why in the U.S. my little guy plays hockey, you don't have to wear a neck, a neck guard. But if you go to Canada, you have to wear neck guards, you know, so, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm saying like it, it's very, one is safer than the other. It's yeah. one's safer than the other. And it should be easy to just put something that protects you a little bit. And I know there's places that you even have to wear the, the wrist, the wrist ones, skates. you know, like and the the skates, uh, the socks that don't yep. cut, right? You know that material. So why not? If it makes you safer, do it. I think it's a really great way to honor Adam Johnson too. You know, if players are, are willing to overcome any initial upfront discomfort to do something sort of in honor of him and give full appreciation to their ability to be able to continue playing hockey and treating it as a privilege. I think that would be a mindset that I would really appreciate as someone on the outside. Yep. Well said. Yeah. Don't think it's that complicated. Uh, but we can move on to the next question. What prospect do you think has the most impact on the Avs over the next two seasons? And what do you expect that impact to be? 
I want to answer first just so I get the right answer. <laughs> You're allowed to, you can but, say Kovalenko. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, if we're considering Kovalenko a prospect, it's easily him. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be in the NHL this year. He'll be on the team next year. Um, that's the easiest answer because he'll be here and he'll be somewhere <laughs> in the forward core. I don't know where, but he'll be somewhere in the mix. For my money, I if I'm a betting man, he's the guy that is next to Miles Wood and Ross Colton in game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Assuming health, obviously. But that's the guy that you're going to have three balls of hate out there just running around, <laughs> smashing into stuff and scoring enough goals to drive the other team crazy. I think the reality of that question is outside of Kovalenko, is there anyone that will even be fully graduated into the NHL over the next two seasons in the Avs prospect core? And, and maybe that answer is yes. I don't know. Maybe Oscar Olauson has a crazy year where he scores 40 goals in the AHL. And it's like, well, you got to promote this guy at that point. But I don't, I can't confidently say from what I've seen that any of these guys will graduate full time. I think some of them will get games. Maybe even it's a significant number of games, but I don't know if they'll have a full-time NHL job. Eustace. God, she steals my answers. Even he, even he, I don't know. Like, in training camp, I think I'd have probably more likely said yes to that, but now we have this Prosvatov situation. I'm mad at them. You know what? And Prosvatov wins his Avs debut game. Looked solid. It's yeah. just... And for what it's worth, I think this was the, the timeline for Eustace was one more year in the American League. So... All right, a year's time from now, why not give Eustace a shot there? Why I do you would. have Eustace in the system then, if not to be optioned for that role down the line anyways? It's not the, the, the outlook for Pavel Francois, and this is the end of his contract too. It's a fair question to wonder if Eustace Aninen is going to be promoted to NHL full-time next season. Uh, I'm going to go Aninen, one. Um, Goalie dad. Goalie dad. I'm going to give, if they can find a spot for OO, I'm going to call him OO, not O squared, <laughs> Oscar Olofsson, okay? If they can find a spot and they can find his identity, and then and, and then as a plug, what I mean that with all the respect in the world, I'm going to go a guy like Poland. That's what I'm going to say, you know, like to become a plug, like a fourth line checker. I'm going to go like that. Outside that, that's, I would say, you know, in the near future, I would be, No. They need Ben Myers to follow the Freddie Olofsson timeline, but a little bit sooner. Because, like, Freddie Olofsson was a late bloomer, too. And I think they need Ben Myers to become that type of player. Yeah. Sooner rather than later. And, and I yeah. think those are the realistic options that you're looking at. I would throw Ben Myers in there, too, for sure. Sure. The other guy? Is it in the D? Because there's a few names that come to mind in there. There's Malinsky. one obvious one. Molinsky. Caleb Jones. I don't know if we're continuing. Caleb Jones is not a prospect. Are we talking about Sean Barons? Okay. Love Sean Barons. Sorry. I was going to get there eventually. I have genuine concern about Sean Barron's game translating to the pro Too level. Too soon. Yeah, that's all. And it's not uh, a lack of faith in Sean Barron's. It's a concern around his size yep. and his health holding up. Um, and I think that's such a cop-out and lazy analysis that I don't want to <laughs> totally fall on that because there are so many. Because he's not necessarily... He's smaller. He's definitely... He fits the archetype, but I, I think there's just going to be a baptism into the pro level with the physicality and the speed that is going to require a little bit of time and adjustment. 
before I'm penciling him in an NHL lineup, and I really just want to see it first before it, I think that way. Yeah, I for my I've got Barons turns pro at the end of this year. He's an Eagle next year, yep. and then at the end because it was the question was two years. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. Love it. The second year is doing all the heavy lifting for Sean Barons for me. Love it. Um, because then you you use that year to get Barons transitioned into the league. And then when Barons is finally good and ready, you move on. In this case, I would say you move on from Byram. Barons slides somewhere into that core, whatever else you've got back there. And then two years after Barons is Guliev. Yeah. And that's and that's when Gerard's contract comes up. So this the timelines of this have neatly aligned with some of their contracts. And Jeremy Hansel becomes the next Devontaves. It's <laughs> I years, hope so, but away. <laughs> it, when it comes to defensemen, it just takes longer for them to get NHL ready. Totally. Right? It's it's a lot bigger jump for defensemen to make that leap. And it, like you see it, you look at a player like a Miles Wood, a Logan O'Connor. If you're a forward in the NHL, you can make it work where you just skate a million miles an hour forward and, and go. Defensemen, you have to understand the game a little bit more just at a base level to make it in the NHL. And well, that's nothing against those guys. It's just... The and, fact. And Guliev, like, just to touch on him for a second, like, stay over there. Stay overseas. You know what I mean? It's 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 a tough He's got three years now. It's so. a tough adjustment when you're young, the language, the 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 environment, the the culture. It's so different, you know what I mean? So it's it's okay. It's so you don't need to rush. Stay over there and then come over. If you're not ready, then you can go play in the American League and learn your craft a little bit. And Megan was going to say Sean Barron's is the nicest guy ever, too. He is just such See? a nice guy. And <laughs> he's very you. smart. I think that he'll get the mental side of the game at the pro level pretty quickly, um, for the most part. I also think the concerns about Barron's game translating are very fair. Because he's not such an overwhelmingly quality offensive player that you, you think he could be Tyson Barry. That's not where it is. And his defense isn't so good yet that you're like, okay... Can he at least be Tory Krug? Sure. Can he be Sam Gerrard? I the, like Tory Krug. Well, and the problem with him being Sam Gerrard, his skating isn't as good as Gerrard's. It's not as good. And that's such a huge part of what makes Gerrard who he is. And so it's kind of like, what box is Sean Barron's fitting into? Where if Sean if Sean Barron's was three inches taller, we wouldn't have this conversation. Yeah. You'd be like, okay, he can, you know, you for smaller guys, there has to be something that they're very, very good at. And we saw hockey IQ was not enough for Will Butcher to make it when he made the transition. Now, Sean Barron's is a better skater than Will Butcher was. It's really hard for bad skaters or below average skaters, especially on defense when they are that size. So Sean Barron's is better than that, but he's not as good as, as Gerard. He's not better or worse offensively or defensively. It's not like one of those sides is so much better than the other. He's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none right now. And so it's fair to wonder when he gets to pro hockey, because I also just perfectly described Tyson Jost when he was at North Dakota. And Jost's biggest challenge in the NHL is what is he good at? And so that, I think, from Megan is a very, very fair concern with Sean Barron's. Well, I just talked about double O, right? I said, depending yeah. if he finds his identity. People have to understand, you have to have an identity because you just can't be all over the place. You have to be something. Yeah. And... That's I don't know Sean Barron's enough. I saw him last week, first time for one period. So I, that's what I know of him. I know because Megan said he's the greatest guy. <laughs> but 
what I'm saying is you got to bring something. You got to bring an identity or else it's not going to work. Should we start calling Olaus an oxygen? Yes. He's O2. 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 Oxygen. I like that. New uh, t-shirts. Not a question, but shout out to our guy JT Myers, who uh, lives in Vegas. For any of the, us Avs fans traveling out there for the game, they're doing an Avs fan pregame meetup at the Beer House by T-Mobile awesome. Arena at 5.30 p.m. tomorrow. Oh, so. I love the Beer House. Yeah. It's, and it's like right there yeah. Oh, yeah, in the courtyard. It's the greatest. You go from the Beer House, you walk, what is it, 200 yards, and you're at the front door of the arena. Yep. Short it's, par three. It's Short awesome. Par three. So it's if you're, awesome. you're out in Vegas for the game, go say hi to the fam over at the Beer House. Have a couple drinks before the game. It should be fun. Uh, we're also brought to you by the folks over at Game Time. If you still need to get tickets to that game or any other Avs game, to be honest, Game Time is your way to do it. Really, any event. doesn't even have to be sports. If you're trying to go to the theater, you're trying to go see a concert, you're trying to do something crazy that's got tickets, Game Time is your way to do it. And when you use code DNVR for your first purchase, you'll get $20 off. So go check out Game Time. They have some of the best deals, especially if you wait, get those last-minute tickets. You can find some really good prices sometimes. Uh, go check that out. Tons of different ways to save some money with Game Time. There's their section deal, which is the one I really like now, where you pick the section you sit in, Game Time will pick the seats, and you save Pretty an cool. average of like 18% on, on the ticket price. So. Pretty cool. Especially like buildings like Ball Arena, where there's not a bad seat in the house. Like you don't have a real sight line issue yeah. anywhere. Yeah, it's not the old easy. Boston Garden. You had the poles and <laughs> or Fenway. That yeah, yeah, that the takes one. A picture of every yep. year. Yeah. Uh, you can also see your seats on game time, so you don't have to worry about anything like that. And the coolest part is, if you find cheaper tickets somewhere else, Game Time will reimburse you 110 percent of the price, so uh, you get the money's worth out of it. Go check them out. Download the Game Time app today. There's a link down in the description, and be sure to use that DNVR code to get twenty dollars off your first purchase. And then be sure you're checking out Red Hawk Roofing. As uh, I don't know about y'all, but in my neighborhood, I think just about every single house got their roof replaced this year. Uh, big hailstorm out east. Uh, if you guys didn't know, hail. Uh, so if you have some damage that you're just finding out now because it's snowing and your roof is leaking. <laughs> Red Hawk Roofing is the way to go to get that all sorted out. They also will come out and, and deal with any emergencies or anything like that. If you just discover a leak, they are on call 24-7 availability with very quick response times. They have decades of experience and only use the best roofing materials. So go check them out. If you're looking for a new roof over your home or business, be sure to check out Red Hawk Roofing at redhawkroofing.com and let them know DNVR sent you. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. We're having a long one today, but I don't care. Nobody yeah. else has to come on today. so. And it's Friday. It's yeah. Like, We're enjoying ourselves. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather be followed everywhere by someone playing the flute or be surprised every day by someone playing a tuba? All right. So I thought about this on the drive in. Oh, boy. I know my answer. I didn't have to think about it. Oh, go for it. Surprise tuba. The correct answer. Mine was to be followed by somebody with a flute because I can always just take that flute and beat them with it so they <laughs> stop following me. Uh, I feel like the flute responds. Yeah, like uh, there's another guy with a flute the second you do that. Yep, it's yep. A, Great, I have a weapon now. And now you have two people and one guy missing a flute uh, who's mad at you. If you yeah, want, but <laughs> I, I've beaten him. And now you're going to prison, so... <laughs> 
So he is wounded, and I don't. I'm not too concerned about the two v one at that point. And the other guy might be super surprised by my level of aggression at this. Guess what AJ so, has now? What does he have? I don't know. What is he got a hearing with player safety? He's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what he does. He's a violent man. Don't hate the player, hate the game, brother. God. No way. If you're if you're giving me bad choices, I'm not getting surprised by a dude with a tuba every day. That but that's a five second thing. It happens and then it's over. I think you'd grow to love it at some point. Whereas you'd, if you didn't hear from him that day, you'd start to worry about him, like, oh man, I no, hope he's I okay. As the as opposed to day forty-five of the flute guy, where you're like, "Please, just stop." No, give me the give me the flute guy. You know, in exactly. Seventh, See, I'm dual wielding flutes. In seventh grade, I had to memorize like this thing on the flute, and I had to do that. You had to do that in front of the class from your seat. And of course, I had no idea. I had hockey practice, and there's <laughs> no way I was doing this. And then I had told the girl behind me; she was my friend. She's like, "I'll just hide behind and I'll do it." So I was going like this. I was pretending, and then. The, the teacher knew it wasn't me, obviously. And then I had to write it down like 500 times, like the whole song. So I still remember it. So la, si, si, do, si, do, si, si, do, si, so la, fa, so la, la, si, la, si, la, la, si, la, si, sol, 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 sol. I remember that. Those are French notes, if you didn't know. But I remember. How crazy is that? Recorders are way easier than flutes. Confirmed. Oh, my God. But I you still, still remember. remember. And if you give me one, I can still play it. <laughs> if I break the flute and I don't accost the individual, does, he just, does he just follow me around all day? I'll, I'll follow you around Another tomorrow. Another flute spawns I'll in. I'll follow you around tomorrow. I'm bringing one tomorrow. Don't and threaten I'm me with a good time, Eric. Game, like, <laughs> no, if you break the flute, a guy with a tuba starts following you around yes. all day every day. Now we have a problem. Now yeah. you don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, now we have a real problem. <laughs> what else we got? Uh, we so we had a show about this years ago. Oh, yeah. We did our our hockey conspiracy theories, but I figured it's been long enough that we could bring a few of them up again and see if Eric has any. Shout out to Cassie for yeah. coming on and convincing us all that Nolan Patrick doesn't know how to tie his skates <laughs> or shoes, just laces in general. Can't can't tie anything. There was a surprising amount of evidence yes. involved in that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. Why he just didn't know how to do it? Yeah. So somebody else. He had to yeah. And the only time anybody ever saw him with tied skates, it was because Travis Konechny did it for him. Yep. He helped him get dressed and everything. There's all kinds of footage. It was it was, an, all kinds it, of, it was like really in depth. His teammates man. had to tie his tie for him. Yep. Like it was, which was also TK. Tons of pictures of him in like sneakers that are untied, like or like the ones or, or slip-ons. Yeah. <laughs> huh. All right. So in the middle of the show on the bench, you're like, all right, Megan, time I see. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm trying to think right now, like, honestly, theories, conspiracy theory. Oof. I don't know, the Crosby lottery? I don't know. Pittsburgh really getting it? Like, really? I don't know. I mean, everybody just knows that that was... And I I'm feel not like saying, we, we saying. all accept this in our hearts, right? That that was not an honest lottery. <laughs> My question is, was it a frozen envelope? No, that's the <laughs> greatest <laughs> conspiracy theory in sports history is Put a little bit of food the frozen the envelope yeah. that gave the Knicks Patrick Ewing. The greatest conspiracy oh, theory in that. sports. <laughs> Sticky one, you know, like you find that. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know of any. There's not a ton of conspiracy theories that I truly believe in for the NHL. No. But. I don't know. I'm stopped. Megan's thinking hard over there. Yeah, I need to spend more time with the topic. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other conspiracies like Liam Michelle can't read. I'm trying to think like, okay, is there anybody that yeah. I think can't read? So funny. I thought of that too Which when this question mean. came So up. I was like, okay, let's take this a di- different direction. Like if I believed anyone in the NHL practiced magic, like believed in magic, <laughs> who would magic it be? Magic is real. And I have to think about that one a little bit. I Nathan don't know. McKinnon. Full stop. <laughs> I have to think about it a little bit. I did magic shows, just so you guys know, for my teammates' kids, so for their birthdays. See, so I am a magician. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> magic is real. Magic Nathan is McKinnon real. would 100% be the Cheez-Its guy <laughs> from that video with the fake David Blaine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the real ones, no. Uh, Kale McCarr's an alien. <laughs> also, not a conspiracy, a conspiracy, dude. He That's just a reality. Is. Yeah. Men in Black is real because Kale McCarr is here outing the alien <laughs> conspiracy. The alien agenda is upon us. I agree. Also, birds aren't real. Oh, my God. All right, let's move on. <laughs> uh, if you were to have a goal song, what would it be? Oof. Tough it's, question. It's this really wonderful song called I Love Bread by Perry Grip. <laughs> What? I don't know why the Rangers don't play it when Artemi Panarin scores. Because <laughs> it is so catchy and includes a dude shouting, bring me a muffin at the top of his lungs in the what? middle of it. It is tremendous, and I encourage everybody to go find it on Spotify right now. Will we get our show taken down if I played it? We probably, might. I, won't. I don't want to take that chance. Just trust, just trust me. Go look for the song. It is on YouTube. Uh, or on Spotify, which is where I've listened to it far more times than I should have. It's called I Love Bread by Perry Grip. It is going to be in my Spotify mm-hmm. wrapped, which is how I found it. Eric, if you could pick your own goal song. Very simple. That catchy part there. Miley Cyrus, Party in the USA. Yes. Great yes. choice. That's such a good and choice. And the Britney song was on. Yeah, I mean, something like that. We're, we're fans of they should play that before games instead of the anthem. I love it. I wonder. Do you think now they've picked a win song? Uh, yeah, I don't know. After uh, the, the new win, maybe. I feel like I, I meant to ask, but I wasn't feeling well. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll get to the bottom. They're coming last, soon, last yeah. I saw, Rijo said they had not yet. And it's like, all right. Because I think at that point they had gone like six Five and six. They're waiting for the moms to pick one. Then they oh, drop two. Like, oh, I love it. I hope the moms pick an ABBA song. LOC's mom's going to pick a banger. Yeah, mom. <laughs> God. I just have this whole theory that LOC's mom is like the leader of the moms. <laughs> the leader of the moms. Like the mom's mom, right? The one that's like, come on, moms. The wolf mother. I could see yeah. Byram's mom being the leader of the yeah, moms. Yeah. I think Byram's mom is just there to vibe. <laughs> uh, I would pick like some K-pop song or something just that's to troll funny. everybody. Go with Bubble Pop. Bubble Pop's a great choice. It's- been listening to it a lot of twice I said, lately. I what? said bubble pop it immediately. It's in my head and I'm yeah. mad about it. Yep. Bubble pop. <laughs> Megan? Bubble, bubble pop pop. No, it's okay. I, I, I didn't know. I wasn't <laughs> sure. So you could keep it. Megan's goal song is just silence. <laughs> we need somebody pick, to so go with in the. In Puerto Rico, there's a tradition around Christmas time. 
uh, called Paranda, and you have Paranda songs, and they're very weird Christmas songs specific <laughs> to Parandas. Paranda. And I could pick one of those, and that would really throw people off. That'd be awesome, though. Paranda. I want I want somebody there's, to go with there's the. There's one about a pig without shame that goes because you eat pernil around Christmas time. It's smoked pig uh, brisket, and in this song, the the, the pig is running from everyone because it doesn't <laughs> want to be cooked. And I think that would make for a really good. <laughs> All home. right, I'm moving. <laughs> Who wrote these? Yeah, Puerto Ricans. I don't want to be yeah, but Like, which ones was sitting? And like, how did they become like widely accepted? culture man what are, some other, what, are, uh, what are some other ones there's a lot more normal ones well actually nope it's not more normal so part of the tradition of paranda <laughs> is going to other people's houses and you know basically like invite us in we're here to party and <laughs> part of the song is like we know your lights are off but we know you're home like let us in we want to party <laughs> and, <laughs> i i should never have spoken you know, puerto rico goes hard <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is absolute. Not all of our goal songs are now on the side. Yep. Yep. You need to. What you need to do. You need to. I've, I've, there's CDs. Like I have CDs. I can bring. You need to pick one. You need to assign each of us one that can be ours. I love this. So <laughs> Starts tomorrow. It's too bad. It would be great if they were free and they could be yeah. our win song. After the abs win, we could play one after That'd every be game. So fun. This is amazing. We might have more leeway with the rights and things. Yeah. Like I don't know who's really keeping track YouTube of that. YouTube doesn't check Puerto Rico quite as <laughs> quite as tight. Highly specialized Puerto Rican Christmas <laughs> songs. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Let's go to the next one. Uh, can you please talk about the Avs cap outlook for the next two off seasons? Sure. Not good. They have uh, under three million dollars. And seven expiring deals that they need to figure out for next season as of right now. And that's, that's with that's tough. That's with an eighty seven point five million dollar cap. Obviously, the Landis Gog equation is an enormous factor there. Yeah. If Landis Gog's not healthy and they have the seven million to continue to spend. Pretty easy. The yeah. math is much easier. You just go out and continue to add around the fringes there. You know, Duran, Tatar, one of those guys is replaced by Kovalenko, maybe a Barons or a Sam Malinsky replaces a Jack Johnson, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but uh, the the other factor, two years from now, you have a new Miko Rantanen contract that you need to sign. Yep. You, you know, I, I used to be of the opinion that maybe you could let him walk. Not depending, anymore. And no. I am at this at this point, I under no circumstances. Yeah. You offer him an eight-year deal. You offer him Nathan McKinnon's money, and you dare him to say no. <laughs> yep. I just think that's he's, he's too good. He's gotten to such a place. These guys, these three guys that you have, this modern holy trinity, <laughs> the response to to Sackick Forsberg, wow, you yep. know, part two here, two I guess, the golden era two for the Avalanche. Yep. You keep them together as long as you can. You don't let these guys go anywhere. So that's going to chew into some cap. Uh, they have hard decisions that they have to make, which would be another reason why you're talking about trading uh, Manson, maybe, because the $4 million yep. is... Uh, An immediate impact for this upcoming yeah. offseason. And Byram might get you the most, but you're probably not taking very much money back in return. And yep. It's kind of building off that conversation, although we did not talk about Landis Gog. Because if you... 
don't have Landis Cog, you probably keep all of those guys for another year and keep kicking it the can down the road until you have finality um, with that, Landis Cog's health. Yep. Because that's that's the X factor in all of this is you don't know what's going on with seven of those seven million of those dollars. Yeah. Fair enough. Drastically changes your approach depending on the availability of Landis Cog. Uh, do we have any more? Is that it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you assess the new guys so far? A lot of people were asking about the new guys in general, their fit and otherwise. I mean, I'll go. You know what? They've been fine. Uh, I'll go. I've been fine. It, it's, I've said it before. I've been traded before. Some guys take time. Some guys adapt right away. Um, family, no family, kids. What? I mean, away from the rink, if, if your life is stable, then usually at the rink it is. It goes hand in hand. And. Um, so, so the new guys have been, depending on whatever their family uh, at home is, what I'm saying is they've looked comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, they've looked comfortable. This is a comfortable city. This is a comfortable organization. C-Mac, Joe, ownership, players, uh, they knew what they're gonna, they were getting themselves into um, expectation-wise. And I think they've been more than fine. Of course, you'd like to get more, like we said, uh, more production out of Druin, more production out of Tatar. Uh, I think Russ and, and Miles are hitting their stride. We'll see as a big game tomorrow. Then if they get a big game, now all of a sudden they're really uh, moving. Um, you know, so I think overall it's been what they've expected, and that's why they're they're going to win tomorrow and be 8-2. and two. So those acquisitions have a lot to do with it. It's a lot deeper lineup. It's a better lineup than last year. Uh, and I think that those guys have a lot of room to improve, and they will improve, but so far so good. <laughs> I would also just add that Colton and Wood were brought in to beat Vegas. Exactly. They were brought in for that style of series. Exactly. Specifically. And Johansson's pacing problems with the Avalanche aren't as pronounced against Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although that is a team that is increasingly reliant on transition opportunities and special teams. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, I would say Colton has probably been my favorite of the new guys. And he hasn't even found it yet. That's where I'm at with it. I want, I think, the front office knocked it out of the park because even looking down the depth chart, Freddie Olsen, Riley Tufty being options that are there, I think Bednar probably really liked the way Tufty looked on that second line with Johansson and Nachushkin. I think he liked the look of that line, and it was something different from what we've seen previously, and I think Bednar probably really likes that. But on the whole, I still think we talked about it before the show in terms of ceiling. Like I think the Av ceiling is still so high from this point, yep. and it – is going to be when players like Colton and Wood really get comfortable. Tatar really gets comfortable. And Johansson, I think, is still finding his stride there. And I I think there's a comfort for what he is. I think he has been exactly what we expected Johansson to be yeah. and better in ways um, and better in the ways that count. So I just think they're still finding their stride as a whole. And I have liked each of them. And I think that they can bring about good things, including Jonathan Drouin. I don't know where, what his fit is specifically, but I still think there is a fit for him in the lineup. It's good options. Yep. I would also, just a, just a small special shout out. Frederick Olofsson has really tied the fourth line together. True. And that fourth line has been among the very, very best in the league and something that I plan on writing about over the next week. Love it. It's really good. That fourth line has been really good, and I wanted to wait for the Vegas game in particular because that's a team that lives off of the energy that their fourth line brings to them on a nightly basis. For years. And the comfort that they have putting that line out even against top lines and being able to hold their own and give them matchup opportunities elsewhere on the ice 
is something that Bruce Cassidy does a really good job of hunting out. And if Colorado's fourth line can reach that level of trust as that trio specifically with Jared Bednar, that that is a major weapon in the arsenal of the Avalanche that they have not had. I agree with everything you said. Drives me a little crazy. Olafson's been pretty bad at faceoffs this year. They keep off. giving him his own well, faceoffs, and, and so is Ross Colton. That, you're not that wrong, aspect but. of it has not worked for those two guys yet. And you're just like you—you you don't have another option. So you're just like you're either just going to keep losing them in mass, or they're going to get better eventually. Those are your only options with those guys. Um, that's the area—the one area where you look at Ryan Johansson and you say he's been doing that it. well. Yeah, have no issues. He's done that job. Yep. Uh, more questions. How do you think the Avs match up versus Vegas and Edmonton this year? Right now, I think they match up great against I'm, Edmonton. Edmonton's who got doesn't? internal problems right now. Yeah. Um, Those goaltending questions ended up a little bit bigger than in, I would say, most people were even expecting. Yep. I, I mean, it is what it is. You're going to find out how they match up against Vegas tomorrow. Yeah. So. I, I, I have always felt like the Avs, the way that Bednar has the Avs play, goes well against Cassidy and it's the same reason why I think that Pete DeBoer has been kryptonite for Jared Bednar is that the way that Pete DeBoer teams play is it creates problems for Bednar teams but the way that Cassidy teams play don't the abs are happy to play that because Vegas is I meant just mentioned it increasingly reliant on transition opportunities you know who else is pretty good in transition the avalanche teams specifically try to do everything they can to take away speed from the avalanche if vegas wants to play that way the abs will and you just at that point you're just trusting that the guys that you found to go play this way are better than what vegas has to offer top to bottom and and i for me it is inarguable that colorado's best players are better than vegas's but vegas has really good players at the top of their lineup but also that kind of depth that gave the Avalanche problems against Seattle last year. Their depth is better. Their better players are better than what the Kraken had. Their defense is better. And both of their goaltenders have played very well to start the season. They're, everything has worked for Vegas. So does anybody match up well against them right now? No, not really. But I feel like the Avalanche, I feel great about the game tomorrow. Oh. I think we're going to see a really good hockey game. But I also think you're going to get a glimpse of the Western Conference Finals. And you're going to get a glimpse of... I think this is a pretty good Avalanche team that hasn't found its stride yet, and it's just behind a Vegas team that is firing on all cylinders. I think their depth has figured things out a lot sooner than the Avs depth has, and that's why I think it's something to come. But Vegas' goaltending is something that is very intriguing and interesting to me because I have a lot of faith in Georgiev, but I still have question marks about number two for Avs. And I have questions for both Thompson and Hill in Vegas, but... It, it kind of it's like I'm giving them a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Like I, I think that could trend in a positive direction for them. It's still very much a question mark, though. Hill's body of work in the regular season is still a little bit untested, but it started off really good for both Hill and Thompson. That could be a really dynamic goaltending duo that they have as options in the playoffs. And that is something that the Evs have not fully answered just yet. I know in, in Prozvitov, I don't know or trust that that would be number two yeah. in a Western Conference final. Well said. All right. Uh, we have one more planned question, and then we'll take some from the but, live chat. But, Megan, Logan Thompson was undrafted. <laughs> <laughs> he spent time in the American League being 
really good. The NHL goaltender of the year. Uh, should the Avs be looking to get a defenseman already this season? No. There was a couple of different no. questions about this. Play the one you got. Yeah, they got Caleb Jones, so they, they did do that. I, I did want to follow this up because one of the tweets that was asking this question alluded to an idea that the Avs system for defensemen requires a lot more activation. It's maybe a little bit more complex to understand. Yeah. It, does that incentivize them to go out and get a guy earlier? No. No. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll take and, some and from the chat here. still need to see what they got when they went Certainly out and with got Caleb, Caleb Jones. Jones. Yeah. Right, because that's a very natural fit for him. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the cap limits you to things yep. you can do. And There's just not. Just play right now. There's, you got healthy bodies. Play them and. Yeah. And go from there. The wiggle room just doesn't exist money-wise for them to do something yeah. big. Yeah. Such a good point yep. and if you're going to do something like that you're probably just going to sign patrick kane anyway so yeah. and there to look go. for i mean they're looking they got pro scouts at every game everywhere mm -hmm. spread out across the american league the nhl and you know they got their list and when the time comes if they need to strike in february or whatever it is then they will they'll be ready for it all right we'll take some from the chat now uh brecton says who are the abs trading for at the deadline is it too early to look at the 2025 draft I think it's probably too early for both those things, but we kind of just answered that. Nick the... Sealer. Okay. Relax, bud. Nick Sealer. Oh. <sighs> I'll stick with my DeMello. Oh, that dude signed up. <laughs> Brendan Dillon, too. Yeah, sure. One of those sure. guys. Please. Come on down. I like that. I was like, no, you don't need to go get a defenseman. Who are they trading for the deadline? <laughs> a a defense. defenseman. <laughs> Trade deadline's a long way away. Yeah. Yep. Things will look different yeah, then. There's a lot of injuries to go. Uh, most important question that I've been curious about. Has Megan done the Breck Brew flight? And if so, does she have a favorite? I did do it. I don't remember what <laughs> my favorite was. It's on video. I just don't remember. I feel like I, we did a bunch of summer ones, right? Yeah, so. and I feel like the Avalanche Amber yeah. was one of my favorites. So, so. Just have to do another one with all their winter flavors. That's what's going to have to happen. Uh, oh, a fun, like, pregame thing that we do sometimes. Yeah, just get in here a couple flight. hours earlier and do a flight. <laughs> we basically did that. Uh, it was for, like, a preseason game or something? Or it was the offseason, even. I forget. Oh. Ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we couldn't release this. Oh. But it so was just random off season. Yeah. Like there's a thing that we tried to do once upon a time and it didn't go didn't great. Work out. So that just means we're prepared to do it better next time. Yeah. Uh Joey B, this is your show, Joey. Yes. Yeah, finally. He's ready. He was ready. Uh, uh Eric, what was the worst ice and best ice you got to play on when you were in the NHL? Uh, back then, MSG. No questions asked. And I was I played there for three years, so it worst was or bad. best? Bad. No, worse. Uh, okay. yeah. I mean, that oh. building is so used. And, you know, I mean, 300, it's almost like 350 days a year, give and take. You know, yeah. it's crazy. So I'm not bashing the crew there. It just, it's usage, you know. And then, and back then, uh, the old Edmonton Arena, uh, Rexall place was unbelievable. And that's why Dan Craig, that used to work there, now works. Well, actually, he's retired, but does all the ices in every building and, and all the outdoor games. So. Yeah, it was a big disparity there, Edmonton and New York. I mean, you're talking about top to bottom. It was crazy. 
All right. More from Joey B. Uh, how many cigarettes with Sergei Zubov smoke between periods with the Rangers? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't play with him. Uh, he was in Dallas when I got to New York. But, I mean, well, again, I... Yeah, I mean, I played in an era where between periods, guys were smoking in the, you know, laundry room. So, so I heard, yeah, I heard some stories about the Avs, and I won't name any names. No, me neither, but... But I heard back at McNichols, oh, yeah. there was a, uh, a, like, family bathroom on the... Right across the yeah, hall. Yeah, and then in intermission, you could find, like, five guys in there smoking well, the, cigarettes. I can tell you that my stallmate, the guy right next to me, he was one of them because, <laughs> boy, oh, boy... When he came back he every friggin' like few minutes, he stunk like cigarette. I mean, it was crazy. So um, yeah, I mean, guys smoked on the between periods in the laundry room, and go sm- guys smoked in the back of the plane, and <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, different you know? time. Yeah, different times. Uh, and then one more from Joey B, who says, "Who's the best trash talker on the ice?" Well, I don't know. By nowadays, probably like Brad Marchand. This guy looks amazing. I mean, you know, from the old days. I'll, I'll use a name that Avs fans should know because he played here for a while. Then he's been on TNT, and now he's the president of the Flyers. He's got the crown for me. He's got the belt. Keith Jones, 100%. So <laughs> quick, so witty. And then it makes you think. You're like, what did he just say? Then you go back and you're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> Keith Jones. There you go. Keith Jones, the winner. And then one from Max here who says, thoughts on Vancouver's hot start? Unsustainable is what I'm, that face says. I'm the guy that's just going to be like, just look at shooting percentage, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's an Avs show. Assistant coach, Adam Foote. Rick Tockett, head coach, former assistant coach, for the Avs, so there's an Avs ties there. So there you yeah. go. Let's so cheer the on the Canucks. Should have all of their success. Uh, oh, to the Avalanche. Yeah, there you go. Great. That's what I'm saying. You guys are welcome, Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> and when it goes well, it's not our fault. No, it's that easy. Because it will stop going well. Good at for some them. Point. They got good players. Good for them. It's good yeah. to see Pedersen. It's good to see Quinn Hughes. Thatcher Demko has been great. And him, him not being hurt and dealing with all that he dealt with last year, like that. It's always been an underperforming group. How great is that now? Yeah, it's overperforming. It's Vancouverish, but you wake up one morning and your kid's like is leading defenseman Quinn Hughes, and then your son's leading forward <laughs> Jack Hughes. How crazy is that? Luke Hughes almost and one Luke point Hughes, off leading sorry, the Rangers. Yeah, 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 well, the, at that time Luke Hughes was number one. Yeah. So it's like, are you kidding me? Like that's pretty amazing. That <laughs> must be pretty cool. Yeah, must be nice. Uh, anything else we want to touch on? Yeah, there was a question in the chat about us not predicting have salary cap stuff in the future. Like, man, like the majority of their guys are signed, uh, and yeah. the impact, the cap, impact guys, the least. cap is expected to go up a certain number each season, as we have seen over the last decade. Yeah, those numbers are just wild stabs in the dark. Sometimes they're accurate, sometimes they're not. Sometimes the world shuts down because of a pandemic. These things, you know, and trying to spend a significant amount of time getting into that stuff is just a fool's errand. Well, and, and the reality of the next handful of years is the Avs have no flexibility to play with besides the unknown amounts that come through. Right, and like a year ago, nobody was talking about Ryan Johansson being in Denver yep. for $4 million <laughs> for free in yep. trade. Every year there's a solution that nobody sees coming. Every year there's a guy that gets into free agency 
that nobody thinks is going to make it till September without a contract. You know, Evan Rodriguez had a career year and then sat all summer. Tomas Tatar has seven 20-goal seasons in his career and sat all summer. Jonathan Duran signed on day one. You never know how this stuff plays out. We're not part of the conversations with C-Mac and the agents and, you know, Bowen Byron wants to come in at six million. Sure, whatever. He wants to come in at 12 minutes, a different conversation. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, but we don't know what he's saying. And, you know, yep. you can't speculate either. Yeah. You know. And, you know, nobody saw Miles Wood getting a six-year deal. Yep. You know, Ross Colton was not available a year ago. You know, these some of these things you can try and take a wild stab at here, and maybe you'll be a little bit correct. I came close uh, with uh, <laughs> saying that the Avs needed to go after Anthony Sorelli. Yep. Had the right team and the wrong player. <laughs> Just missed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now I'm actually pretty thankful it worked out the yeah, way that, that it Sorelli did. Yeah, that Sorelli money was uh, hard to compete with. Yeah. It, it's also one of those things right now where – you deal with that when it comes in the off season, right? And, and when you are a cup contending team, you are worried about what this yeah, season. Exactly. You're worried about this season, and then a lot of those problems. Yeah, they don't have a two C signed in two years. That's okay. two years from now's problem. Yeah. Yeah. You are you are not living. You, it's not such a vital thing that you have every single guy locked up long term. The Evs already have more guys signed long term than most teams do. Certainly, the competitive teams. They have a lot of money committed. And then the guys that have some expiring deals, you know they're going to keep. Yep. Miko and, and Kale McCarr are two guys that you can look at and say, sure, those contracts expire in a couple of years, but they're not going anywhere. No, The Avs will move heaven and earth to keep them. Yep. And, you know, who ends up being heaven and who ends up being earth that get moved in order to make the money for them? We don't know yet. So that's that's why we don't spend a ton of that time. And every trade deadline, it gets changed. The teams that are competitive, uh, one year ago today, nobody was talking about the St. Louis Blues being sellers at the deadline. Yep. And they just sold off as much as they could, as aggressively as they could, because they fell apart. It was only the 10 the landscape in. changes so quickly that it's really hard to get too into the weeds about two years from now, salary cap stuff. Yep. Like like they have like twenty five million dollars or something in salary cap space two year in two years, but you also know that that's it's not. They also have twelve roster spots. Exactly, <laughs> they have half of a roster to build, including a superstar in Miko Rantanen that has to get paid. Yep, and it's like, well, where's that money going to go? It's gonna go there. Yep, Georgiev. Yep, yeah, Georgiev in two years. It's a team that continues. To do this, we're going to trade for a backup. We're going to give him a three-year deal. We're going to roll out. We're going to go those three years. And then we're going to find the next one. You want to know what the Avs are going to do in net in, in two years? Watch every quality backup over the next couple of years. Watch all the teams that have entrenched starters and see what happens. Look at that guy. Find one of those guys, and you'll find their next goalie. <laughs> okay. We good? All right. In that case, make sure you go and get yourself some Breckenridge Brewery beer, the official beer of DNVR. You can get yours uh, on tap anywhere. Uh, in well, Not on tap, but at the liquor store. You can get them on tap here at the bar. On awesome tap. if you walked into the liquor store and they were on tap. That'd be, not, be a bar, not a liquor store at that point, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, but you can find it anywhere in the U.S. Use the Breck Beer Locator online with breckbrew.com. And then also check out Bacchus and Shanker. Uh, if you have been in a car accident, it's not your fault, or any other situation, even if it's at work or you were downtown or whatever happened, 
and you were injured, Bacchus and Shanker has your back. Call the two number, 222-2222, or go to coloradolaw.net to get a free consultation. And if they think you have a case, you pay them nothing up front. They don't get paid until you get paid, which they'll get you paid. They've won over a billion dollars for their clients. In over 25 years, they've been doing this here in Colorado. So call that two number today. Get a hold of Bacchus and Shanker because Bacchus and Shanker wins. That is all we have for the day. It was a fun one. It was a fun Friday show. I enjoyed it. A nice long one. I always love mailbag shows. Yeah. You can, you can go longer. You can get into all kinds of things. You get to talk about what the people want to hear about. It's you not talk just about us. carambas. What's it called? Parandas. Parandas. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. I can't speak seven <laughs> languages, man. Like, can you, I'm six, I guess I you can speak two. I'm at six. Six languages? Jeez. I'm kidding. What other ones can I you speak? I don't care. Famously, no he speaks Czech. Mm. Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> Famously. Yeah. I can speak one and then like 2% of like three other languages. Does that count? Paranda. <laughs> <laughs> we are out of here. We appreciate y'all. Game day tomorrow. We got pre-game and post-game planned for you. And then next week, we got yeah. some cool stuff coming. No watch along again tomorrow yep. because... All the it's Colorado maximum sports are happening chaos at the same next, time. Yeah. I don't know. You have Nuggets, Buffs, and Abs. I don't know about Rams. Um, yeah, I'm I, not sure. I'm just I'm just assuming they also play, but those three teams for sure yep. are are uh, all at the, the same. Watch all along the same window. should be back for Monday. I think. Man, I'm not even going to assume I at this think, point with the way the Nuggets schedule is. Who knows? We'll uh, see. Either way, we appreciate you, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Y'all silly like the mayor. 